Thanks for reading for us, uh, Jordan. Uh, this week and uh, next week, uh, we're going to be in Isaiah 24 and 25. So if you'd like to turn to Isaiah 24, and I'll read it for us. Isaiah 24, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. And it shall be as with the people, so with the priest, as with the slave, so with his master, as with the maid, so with her mistress, as with the buyer, so with the seller, as with the lender, so with the borrower, as with the creditor, so with the debtor. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered. For the Lord has spoken his word. The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, broken the everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched, and few men are left. The wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourines is stilled, the noise of the jubilant has ceased, the mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing, a strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. The wasted city is broken down, every house is shut up so that none can enter. There is an outcry in the streets for lack of wine, all joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. Desolation is left in the city. The gates are battered into ruins. For thus it shall be in the midst of the, of the earth among the nations. As when an olive tree is beaten. As at the gleaning when the grape harvest is done. They lift up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west. Therefore in the east give glory to the Lord. In the coastlands of the sea, give glory to the name of the Lord, the God of Israel. From the ends of the earth, we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. But I say, I waste away, I waste away. Woe is me, for the traitors have betrayed. With betrayal, the traitors have betrayed. Terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitants of the earth. He who flees at the sound of the terror shall fall into the pit, and he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. For the windows of, heavens are, of heaven are opened, and the foundations of the earth tremble. The earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. The earth staggers like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgression lies heavy upon it, and it falls and will not rise again. On that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. They'll be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison. And after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded and the, and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts reigns on Mount, Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And his glory will be before his elders. Uh, this chapter is about God's judgment. It's about the end of the world. Uh, verse 1, the, the, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. Verse 20, the earth staggers 
like a drunken man. It sways like a hut. Its transgression lies heavy upon it. It falls and it will not rise again. But what makes this chapter uh, different from other chapters that describe God's end time judgment, in a way uh, makes it uh, quite topical for us, is the, the sub-theme that runs through the chapter, and that is the theme of singing. Uh, Isaiah speaks about singing that has stopped, verse 9. No more do they drink wine with singing. But he also talks about singing that has started, verse 16. From the ends of the earth we hear songs of praise. Uh, singing stopped because of God's judgment, and singing started because of God's judgment. Uh, the first half of our passage reflects on this time when singing is stopped, not because of a pandemic, uh, but because of God's judgment on the world. And uh, we've seen the language is strong. Verse 1, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate. Verse 3, the earth shall be utterly empty, utterly plundered. Uh, the language here, uh, like the language in the, the flood narrative, uh, points to a reversal of creation. Uh, in Genesis 1, what is empty and formless is filled and formed. Uh, but now it's going backwards to being formless and desolate. And in between, Isaiah stresses that everyone will be caught up in this judgment. Uh, verse 2, when we, when we read it, it, it just seems over the top in the, in the people that he names. Uh, as with the people, so with the priest, with the slave, the master, the maid, the mistress, the buyer, the seller, the lender, the borrower, the creditor, the debtor. But his point is everyone will be caught up in this judgment. And uh, being at the sort of top end of society will not protect you from God's judgment. We, we find it so frustrating uh, when people can escape justice because they can pay uh, a, you know, a top lawyer. Uh, but the rich and the powerful won't be able to escape this judgment. Uh, no expensive lawyer will save them. Everyone uh, will be caught up in this judgment. That's a theme that runs through Isaiah. Human pride, achievement cannot stand next to God. That status and accomplishment cannot save us from judgment. The result will be verse 3, the earth will be empty. You know, we saw a taste of that uh, last year, you know, during the height of the restrictions, the roads were empty, weren't many people on uh, the street, but this is not a sort of localized uh, temporary emptying caused by a pandemic or a war or a natural disaster, these things that we see from time to time. Uh, this will be absolute. Uh, the Lord will twist the surface of the earth. Can you imagine King Street uh, lifted up and twisted, fractured, broken? Uh, this is a great reminder of what Paul says, uh, that this world in its current form is passing away. For us going on mission, it's a great reminder that the people we meet, the people we might just be able to have a snippet of a conversation with, are people who are heading for this judgment. How does Isaiah know that it's going to happen? Uh, he doesn't give us details. He doesn't unpack, uh, you know, the, what will lead up to it. He just says very simply, end of verse 3, uh, I know this, for the Lord has spoken his word. Uh, that is a wonderful prophetic confidence. I know this because God has spoken his word. 
As Isaiah continues, uh, he flips the direction and uh, looks at it from uh, the earth up. So the, the first section emphasizes the activity of God. He'll empty uh, the earth. He'll twist. Uh, here, though, he turns to the idea of something coming up from within, a, a, a withering that arises internally. Uh, the reason that the earth is af affected is because of its inhabitants. Verse 5, the earth lies defiled under its inhabitants, for they have transgressed the laws. They have violated the statutes. They have broken the everlasting covenants. Uh, the, the earth is defiled because of the disobedience of its inhabitants. The language uh, pushes us back to Moses. It pushes us back even further to Noah, uh, even to Adam. It's, it's a trivial um, illustration, but you know, you think of the child who's told not to come into the house because their feet are dirty, who just disobeys and tracks muddy shoes through the house. Uh, we have defiled the earth by our disobedience. And so, verse 6, therefore a curse devours the earth. The curse that God put on the earth when Adam sinned uh, will grow and grow until eventually it devours the whole earth. This judgment from God, this curse devouring the earth, leads to mourning, and it leads to singing being stopped. And so we move from the, the kind of theological explanation of what's going on, why is this judgment coming, to the emotional reaction to it. And, and it's a, a reaction of abject misery. Verse 7, the wine mourns, the vine languishes, all the merry-hearted sigh. The mirth of the tambourines is stilled. The noise of the jubilant has ceased. The mirth of the lyre is stilled. No more do they drink wine with singing. Strong drink is bitter to those who drink it. That the alcohol sustained or fueled joy and celebration and singing of the world will cease. And instead, verse 11, all joy has grown dark. The gladness of the earth is banished. It's a confronting passage. It's, it's uncomfortable uh, to read. I, I find this difficult as I was working on this sermon. I'd much rather be looking at a passage that talks about salvation and joy and encouragement. But we're reminded of, of Jesus. Uh, six times in Matthew's gospel, Jesus uses the phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth to speak about the response to God's coming judgment. But Isaiah extends the image. It's not just profound sadness. It's terror. Verse 17, terror and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. He who flees at the sound of the terror shall fall into the pit. And he who climbs out of the pit shall be caught in the snare. Uh, I grew up in a um, very loving uh, home, but not a, a church-going home, uh, in a context in Northern Ireland where... Pretty much everyone else uh, went to church. Uh, one of my earliest memories as a four-year-old was walking around uh, the garden at my, uh, the, the home I grew up in in absolute spiritual agony because I knew that because I didn't go to church, uh, I was going to hell. Okay, and obviously my theology wasn't fully developed, um, <laughs> but this, this fear of judgment you know, at, at four years old and, you know, if older generations uh, perhaps gloried a little too eagerly in God's judgment, perhaps it's something that 
our temptation is to downplay it, to shy away from it, uh, even to be a little embarrassed by it. And I was rebuked, you know, in preparing this, my, my own reaction to this passage uh, showed that in, in me. The destruction will be absolute. Verse 19, the earth is utterly broken. The earth is split apart. The earth is violently shaken. And again, like verse 2, no one will escape. Verse 21, on that day, the Lord will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. And when Paul speaks in Romans 3 about judgment, he speaks about the whole world being held accountable before God. He speaks about every mouth being stopped. There is no excuse you can give, no reason you can appeal to. You just have to be utterly silent. Here in Isaiah, the note is one of terror and sadness. Uh, the people who are used to singing and celebrating, they can't bring themselves to sing anymore. And they're consumed with terror. Uh, singing has stopped because of God's judgment. But singing has started because of God's judgment. Verse 13, for thus it shall be in the midst of the earth among the nations, as when the olive tree is beaten, as at the gleaming when the grape harvest is done, they lift up their voices. They sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. They shout from the west. The faithful remnant like the handful of olives that remain on the tree after it's been beaten, they will celebrate. Uh, the weak and faithful who have been at the mercy of the powerful, they will sing. Uh, they sing for joy. They sing about the majesty of the Lord. They start singing because of God's judgment. God's judgment is a good and right thing. His victory, his right, good, just victory over evil. It's not something to be embarrassed about. But it's something, as believers, we can appropriately celebrate. We can anticipate. We can give glory to God for. We know that the judge of all the earth will do right. There's a wonderful note at the end of the passage uh, when uh, the moon and the sun are ashamed because of the glory of, of God. God's glory is seen. And it's as if the, the, the sun and the moon are, are ashamed for trying to imitate uh, the glory of God. It is God's glory uh, that shines. So singing stopped because of judgment. Singing started because of judgment. But I think it's helpful if we think, we step back a little bit, and uh, we think about Isaiah's reaction to this, and then we think of our own uh, reaction to this. What about Isaiah? Verse 16. From the, the ends of the earth we hear songs of praise, of glory to the righteous one. But I say, I waste away. I waste away. Woe is me, for the traitors have betrayed. With betrayal, the traitors have betrayed. There's a tension running through Isaiah. And uh, you see this at different points in, in the book. Uh, for example, chapter 21, uh, he's uh, speaking about the, the, the fall of, of Babylon. He's longing for it. But it, it, when he reflects on the reality, he finds it too shocking. And he says, my heart staggers. Horror has appalled me. The twilight I longed for has been turned for me into trembling. A and it's the same here as he contemplates the end of all things. It's as if his kind of energy ebbs away under the shock of what is to come. Woe to me. 
Uh, he said the same thing about himself in, in chapter 6. Uh, Woe to me. Here he now feels the hopelessness uh, of others. He feels himself caught up in this coming destruction. Uh, and he knows that the world will go on uh, in its moral indifference. Uh, verse 16, betrayers betray with betrayal, betrayers betray. That's a wonderful sort of uh, uh, Isaiah kind of uh, expression. But it's a powerful statement of moral evil. The world continues to deceive. It continues to deceive and betray. It's right to sing and celebrate God's judgment, but Isaiah feels the tension. He knows that God's judgment is coming, but he also knows that in the meantime, sin will continue. And that breaks his heart. There is nothing he can do to stop it. And uh, he feels this, this tension. And so he, uh, he trembles. Uh, he pronounces a woe on himself. Uh, again, we're reminded of um, uh, the, the tension in the Lord Jesus announcing judgment on Jerusalem, but in Matthew 23, weeping, weeping over the judgment of Jerusalem. Or, or, or Paul, who uh, could say with tears that many live as enemies of Christ. Uh, there's a tension in Isaiah. Uh, what about ourselves? How are we to um, uh, reflect, uh, apply this passage? Well, I think if we just uh, step back and ask the question, what is this chapter doing in uh, the book of Isaiah? Well, in this part of the prophecy, Isaiah is calling the people of Judah and Jerusalem to stop trusting the nations around them. Uh, as uh, kind of tiny Judah is squeezed by different superpowers, it was tempting for her kings to compromise their faith in the Lord by making alliances uh, with other nations. Uh, rather than relying on the Lord and the Lord alone to protect them, they would look to these other nations uh, to uh, protect them. And so this section of the book, uh, starting in chapter 7, starts with faithless King Ahaz who the Lord rebukes for forming an alliance with Assyria uh, to protect him against uh, their enemies. And um, God says, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. The section runs through to chapter 39, and we have Hezekiah, an otherwise good king, uh, lapsing in his faith by showing off to the newest superpower on the block, Babylon. Uh, it's a sort of perhaps an early form of, of virtue signaling as he kind of shows uh, around how great uh, uh, the nation is to, the, to this, uh, the representatives from Babylon. So making alliances or uh, virtue signaling. And in between, Isaiah's relentless message is that it is fruitless to trust the nations because they'll come to nothing. So there are oracles against Egypt, against Moab, against Assyria. And, and it's not so much, I don't think, that Isaiah was expecting these other nations to hear these messages. No, the messages were really for God's people. Why trust in Egypt if this is what's going to happen to them? And so this chapter, I think, brings this kind of dynamic to a, a climax. Uh, rather than zoom in on one particular nation, Isaiah has zoomed out uh, to take in the whole earth. Now, the earth is mentioned 18 times in this passage. Why put your, your trust in the nations of the world if this is their ultimate destination? Don't trust in the doomed nations. Trust in God, the one who will judge the nations. And the way that Isaiah dealt with this tendency then, 
uh, of uh, Judah to, to trust in the nations was to focus on this destruction of the nations. And so this morning, God is directing our attention to the end of all things. Uh, this part of Isaiah is an exhortation to remain firm in our trust in the Lord. And for us, it's an exhortation to remain uh, firm in our faith in our, in our Lord Jesus to the end by confronting us with the reality of God's judgment. The temptation might not be the same as the people and kings of Judah. Uh, we aren't uh, necessarily tempted to put our hope uh, in political alliances, um, but it's easy to look around and feel a little like Judah, surrounded by increasingly hostile nations. A Christian book recently banned on Amazon. Uh, laws passed in Victoria that have made even basic Christian practices potentially illegal. Uh, like Judah, we're tempted to despair. We can be tempted to compromise. Uh, the pressure to make an alliance with Assyria, to virtue signal to Babylon. But this passage helps to inoculate us against that temptation, and it does so by putting our focus on the end of the world, on God's judgment on the world. But this passage doesn't just point us forward. It points us back, because we know that God's end-time judgment has already begun in the cross. Now, Paul reflects on that in 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, the message of the cross is God's great demonstration of his power, his power to destroy, his power to destroy the world's wisdom, to shame uh, the world. And so, as we read this as Christians, this passage encourages us uh, with Paul to boast in Christ and his cross. And so when we preach the judgment of the world, we don't just preach the future. Uh, we point people back to the cross. We call on them to stop singing about their own triumphs and glories, and we call on them to start singing about God's judgment to start singing about God's judgment that has started in the cross. Uh, his judgment that destroys the world, but his judgment that can save anyone who puts their trust in it. And there is nothing more uh, worth singing about than God's judgment seen in the cross, even if we have to wear a mask or go outside. Let's pray. They lift up their voices, they sing for joy over the majesty of the Lord. Uh, we praise you, our Father, for your glory. Uh, we reflect on the, this passage and uh, we think of the end of all things. Uh, but we also think about your judgment that has started uh, in the cross. And uh, we are reminded that it is the cross uh, that is our hope and that you have uh, judged uh, your son in our place and so we can hope in you and uh, we pray that this message would ring uh, from our lips and we ask it in Jesus name. Amen.